0: to be bringing the Word. We've been in this awesome series from Ephesians, and we've just been having a blast doing that. And I know it's a holiday weekend. Why is it a holiday weekend? Because the kids go back to school tomorrow. Amen. And Tuesday, thank God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Is anybody, all the parents clapping, all the kids are saying no, thank you. But we are glad. I know some are out and having a good time, taking up that last little bit of summer. But we're here, and we're excited that you're here too. This series, though, we took a break last week because we we just, the Lord was wanting to do something different, but uh, we're back in it, and I'm excited to be sharing with you this idea of battle scars. Well, the big idea throughout the whole, the whole book of Ephesians is this, is that there's this cosmic battle. That's going on between the forces of God and the forces of darkness. And so Paul is sending these dispatch letters from behind enemy lines. He's in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, he's in prison for telling the truth about God's love. And he has a unique perspective one, because he's inside enemy territory, and number two, is because he's been talking to some pastors and they're telling him what's going on in the church. So as he's writing, he's addressing real-time issues that are happening. And him knowing that this letter would be passed along, he has written it in such a way that even today in the RTP, we can hear this word and allow it to come and to speak alive to us today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. As I was thinking about this message, I was reminded of a story uh, that happened recently with my kids. They were bugging me like crazy. Dad, we want some soda. Go to the store. We don't have any soda. And so I went to Food Lion and I saw on the shelf what it was that I was going to get them. They were asking for Dr. Pepper, but Food Lion has Dr. Perky. Dr. Perky is definitely not to be confused with Dr. Pepper, though in the subtitle line it says something like, it's snappy. It's snappy. I tell my kids, we're going to get some of this. And they're like, no, Dad, we don't want Dr. Perky. We want Dr. Pepper. I said, No, Dr. Perky, it is. Doesn't it look great? See, right on the label, it's snappy. They said, and, and I said, No, not nappy. It's snappy. Let's enjoy it. And so they're like, All right, we'll try it. So I go home, I, I crack it open, I give them some ice, support pour it in their cups. And my kids are making the biggest deal of Dr. Perky. They're like, Dad, this is horrible. And I was like, How bad can it be? And I said this, speaking in hyperbole like every parent does. If you don't drink all of this, I'm never getting you another soda again. That's it. It's over. So they're like trying to hold their nose and go it down. I said, man, it cannot be that bad. And then I tasted it. It was that bad. Dr. Perky is not a drink for those of us that like t- the taste of the original Dr. Pepper, because it's nothing like the original. And I'm not here to disparage anyone that drinks Dr. Perky. Disparage, by the way, means to talk down against or to belittle. I don't mean to do that to you, but if you like Dr. Perky, you might need deliverance after church. I'm just saying. If will have a prayer line just for you, maybe we can even have one of those old school prayer cards. Remember those you just kind of walk through. We gotta do some deliverance on you, but Dr. Perky. And the reason it was so bad is because it tastes a lot like a watered-down version of the original. There's this watered down taste to it. And maybe you prefer Dr. Perky, but for those that like the original, those that long for the original, Dr. Perky's just not going to do. This is sort of where our message meets us this morning. Because though the church had been called to live into the truth of the kingdom of God, to be a beacon of light to the world, to be the source of hope and light so that others could enter in, it had become something of a watered down version of itself. Stuff was entering into the community that was harming it, attitudes, mindsets, ways in which they were living. It was affecting their message and it had become watered down and so Paul picks up right where we left off as he's dealing with family matters and the way that the church interacts with each other and gives us these wonderful words of, of the Spirit of God, God's Word for us this morning. Verse 1, reading, For God's example, no, follow God's example, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Strong words. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on all those who are disobedient therefore do not be partners with them for you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them It is shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, songs, and hymns from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like a lot of rules. And sounds like a lot of rules that get broken often in the community of faith. And Paul is addressing this not because it isn't a problem, but because it actually is. And what's happening to the church is its message is becoming muddy to the degree that there's no longer a distinction between who the church is and who the world is. The church is supposed to be an icon. Think of an icon as that little window on your phone, that, that little app that you press. The icon is not the real, but it should be a path to it. The church is supposed to be like one of those. When you press that little um, app on your phone, it leads to a whole other world. It exposes all the things that are underneath. But when the app is broken, have you ever had a broken app on your phone? I had this one and it drove me crazy. And every time I would try to do it, it was malfunctioning behind the scenes. And so finally I deleted the app and said, I'm just done with this thing. It's not working like it's supposed to. In a similar way, the church is called... To be like that, like an icon that points to something greater. But it's like the coding underneath the church has become a lot like Dr. Perky's. So that when people access, say, I want hope. And so they click on that app in their life and say, I want to enter into the life of the church. I hear things are amazing. They get inside and go, no thanks. I'm good. I'll just keep rolling on because something is malfunctioning. This is what... Paul is trying to address the spirit of God has inspired this scripture for us today because there's a broken pathway and so people that are trying to enter into the kingdom of God have found that they can't find their way in and who to blame except the church the church who has allowed its coding to become corrupted, that it's allowed its witness to become watered down, trying to maybe be a little bit more contemporary or a little bit more relevant. They have expelled the authentic. And in doing so, have caused great harm to enter into the community of faith. And this church, this young church that Paul loves, this church plant that he was instrumental in helping get off the ground, after a few years, it's become a little bit watered down. And he sees it as a problem. And so he lists the characteristics or the symptoms of where the breakdown is in the church's message. Where and how it's been watered down. And he wants them to know that these characteristics that are happening around the church, they really don't have any place in it. And they're hurting your message. They're hurting your witness. But not only is he giving them a bunch of the rules, or if you will, the the sort of the code of faith, he's also helping them to know the life in which they're called to live into. And here in our text this morning, what he is looking to bring forth is something of transforming faith. Something that when someone taps into it, they say, I want what it is that they have. I want the life that they have. I want the peace that they have. I want the joy that they have. I want the power of God like they see happening in their life. I want that for me. That's what Paul is asking them to, to live into. And now the church, they're sort of at this crossroads. What are they going to be? Will they emerge or will they stay put? Will they live into the destiny for which God called them to or will they shrink back? Paul says, please do not. The world is counting on you to be the bride of Christ and to be the example of God's in-breaking in the world. Don't back down. How do you not back down? Well, he gives us some, some, some really good counsel here. The first thing he says is that we need to, if we don't want to allow our coding to get a, a, a malfunction or, or, or miswired, if we don't want our message to be watered down, we need to let love lead. He says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and laid down his life for us. Christ gave himself up as a fragrant offering. And as the church, we're called to let love lead in all of the activities of who we are as a community. To put it differently, that love has to be the thing that drives the characteristics of the church. Because outside the church, there's a whole lot of people that talk about love, that sing about love but don't really live into the idea of what love truly is he's correlating love with Christ's sacrifice with his work on the cross and says this is the way that you guys ought to be living for one another is laying down your life so that the community of faith can thrive and so when others see it it looks different than what it does on the outside notice the sins that he talks about He talks about sexual immorality, he talks about impurity, and he talks about greed. Those are two things, and actually he repeats those three twice, and then lists some other things after that. But in the beginning part, when he's talking about the way of love, he specifically highlights those. Why do you think he chooses those? He could have chose 10,000 sins. He chooses these specific ones. Why? Because the sins that he's pointing to are all of those things that we do as people that that are all about feeding me. Sexual morality is all about my needs. Impurity, the same. And so is greed. It's all about me acquiring more, even if it means that someone suffers around me. It doesn't matter about them. I'm going to take care of me and mine, even if it means you suffer. And we say, oh, that's horrible. But we live into those kinds of characteristics sometimes. We're more worried about what's happening on our street, at our zip code, at our address, than we are about what's going on in the life of the community of faith. And he says that this characteristic is causing the church's message to become watered down. Our culture here should be uniquely different. It should look like a picture of heaven on earth. And he's saying, Ephesus, that's what yours should look like too. And every church, this is the witness it's called to bear. But as the world began to fade into its, its, char- its character, it began to degrade its message to the degree. When people were coming looking for hope, they say, nah, no thanks. You look a lot like we do out here. As I sort of posed a few weeks back and have heard Christians even use this, the only thing different between me and the world is I'm forgiven. That better not be true. We are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. But if that's the only distinction... That's not really what the scripture is calling us to as people. There's a whole other character and and grace that God wants to be at work within his community. And when we water it down by allowing what I want to supersede what God wants, there will always be a cultural breakdown within the church and broken pathways so that people can't find their way into life. Jesus says about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he says, you guys, you guys go over land and sea to win one convert, and when you have found them, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. That we should be different, not converting people to a life that doesn't have distinction, but converting people to a life that is marked by it. Marked by the distinction of the spirit and the life of the believers that are actively and in community living in an alternate way than the world lives. This is the message, and it's an important message. Because when I'm about sexual immorality, I'm all about my needs. And I'm devaluing the image of God in someone else because I'm using them as a tool, as some sort of utility for my own benefit or my own pleasure. This has no place in the kingdom of God. And this is Paul's point, that when we are living and letting love lead, I would never treat anyone that is made in the image of God that way because they're too important and too valuable to treat like that. This is the thrust, and that's why he's saying that we need to follow the path of love, that love always needs to be in the driver's seat. To echo other language he uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that the mark of the community of faith is that it's kind. It doesn't have envy present. It isn't boastful. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't delight in evil, but instead rejoices in the truth. It's willing to bear. Listen all things believe in all things like that god is at work endure even through all things because love never fails this is what it, the lord is wanting the community to do and so he's highlighting these sins but showing the remedy for them that when we live in the design of love that god has for our life it's something of substance transforms that community into the character of christ I was talking to some brother a few months back and he was telling me about his relationship and he was all upset and he's like, man, I thought this one was gonna be it. I thought this was the one, pastor, but it turned out it's not working out the way that I thought. And I was like, man, what happened? Y'all were talking engagement. Sounded like everything's going good. He goes, you know what? The only thing we had in common is we both loved her. That's right. We both loved her. She loved her and I loved her, but she didn't love me. But I wonder sometimes if that trait finds its way into the church where we love me, but we're not willing to offer that love to our brothers and sisters who sit next to us in our seats. To know their pains, their hurts, and to be there and connected to them. To live in covenant relationship the way that God has called the community of faith to live. As a covenant community that will live and stand for and with each other. Even in the hard days. And to call them to their greatest life. This is the picture of the kingdom. And how the church is supposed to look different. So you can imagine the reader coming to Ephesus and sharing this scripture maybe in a home group or maybe in their corporate gathering that they would have. And these words, they would sting because they saw the way in which their community had been harmed from the behaviors of selfish folks living only for themselves. Oh, there's more subtle ways it comes. It's not just the way that I've just described in those more egregious sounding sense, but sometimes in our own preference. Eh, you know, it's, it's not really for me i don't like that song it just doesn't do it for me i want the old hymns or i want the new songs i want to to just play elevation worship or hill song or, or or i want covenant life's new music that's coming out and everybody has their distinctions when we value what it is that only we want we miss the more important thing what does god want and god wants a A mix of all of these traditions coming together in a selfless, self-giving kind of way so that the love of God can bound forth. And so when people look at it, they say, you know what? The kingdom of God is alive in there. May it be marked and said of us that covenant life is a community that loves this kind of way. Loving like this will transform the world. It always has. And that's why Paul is reminding them. The second point he gives is that, you know, as a community of faith, that we need to be light. There's this really strong metaphor that he uses here. And he compares the people, not in simile, you are like darkness or you were once as darkness. He says it differently. You were once darkness. You are the thing in this case. That you are and have been Darkness is the point that you are a part of the system, the breakdown in the world that caused people to miss understand or misapprehend where God or who God was or where God was working and all of those things. You were once darkness but now listen you are light in Christ Jesus. He's showing two great distinctions. One of complete darkness and those of you that have ever gone inside a cave like deep inside and they shut off the lights when you're in there and you try to put your hand in front of your face to see it. It doesn't matter how long you close your eyes. It doesn't matter that your eyes will never adjust to that level of darkness. In fact, they say that if you stay there long enough, something like two months only, that you yourself will be in permanent darkness and blind. Because even when the light dawns, you will not be able to see it because your light has been so overpowered by the darkness that pervades in that kind of space. And that's what the world is living into. And Paul says, that's what you used to be. And if that's what you used to be, there really is no room for that to be a character trait of the kingdom of God anymore. That you are instead called to be light. And he uses this really neat uh, analogy. He says that everything the light touches becomes a light. That's how he describes the character of the church, that when God's light shines upon an object, that object becomes itself a light, a pathway, so that others can find their way into the kingdom of God. And when it shines upon it, itself begins to bear light and to show what it is that's there few months back I was walking in some darkness in my house and I've got this little baby that lives there and how many of you know that baby toys are not real fun to step on in the middle of the darkness that that, Legos are from the devil, amen. They will cause you to lose your ever-loving faith sometimes because they hurt so bad when you step on these things at night. What I can't see, though, in the dark, as the darkness is in the room, as soon as the light comes on, I'm easily able to navigate around these things. But if I choose to walk in darkness, I will risk stumbling upon something that could be very painful. Here, though, the metaphor is even more strong than that. That we ourselves are like luminaries, meaning that when the light of God lightens upon it, it itself begins to magnify its own light or seemingly its own light. Think of it like this in terms of our sun. The sun shines and lights up the moon. The moon has no light of its own, but when it hits, the sun hits the moon; it gives off light. This is sort of the image that Paul wants us to have: that not the sun in the sky, but the sun of God shines upon us. But insofar as the world is there and eclipses or mutes or blocks the lights of the sun, then the moon, though capable of reflecting light, cannot. And in the same way, when we get too much of the world in our lives, even though the Son of God is trying to light upon us, it We cannot receive that light because we're being eclipsed by the world. We've allowed the world to enter into our hearts. Paul says, no, come into the light. Expose the deeds of darkness. And that doesn't mean going on a witch hunt and trying to find everywhere where darkness is. No, it's saying expose it by entering into the light. That we don't need you necessarily running around trying to point out everybody's wrong, but calling people into the light because the light itself exposes the weak areas of our heart and the areas where we need Christ to do some heart surgery in and through us. This is the point of Paul's message. He wants the church to be a place of peace, of hope, of joy, and of power. But insofar as the light of God is being blocked by the world, the moon never is able to give forth the light it's intended to give. But when we exit the shadow of the the world and all of the corruption within we become a light so that when the world is walking in darkness they see the light of god inside of us and when they see the light of god inside of us they too can find their way into the light this is the picture of what the church should be and so we expose the darkness By entering into the light, our chief task then is to do just that, to move closer to the light because the more we enter into the space where God's light is shining, the more we become luminaries for those that find themselves in darkness. The call of the church, you were once darkness, but now you are light in Christ Jesus. Not in yourself, but in Christ, you are now a light that is bounding forth, that's wanting to illuminate the path for everyone around so they too can navigate the darkness. And then he gives this really weird connection at the end. He tells us that we ought to speak to one another with songs, like sing and stuff, like we do in our worship and hymns, but kind of like in this musical theater sort of mode where we show up maybe next Sunday and we all just sing our greetings to everyone and we sing, I'll sing my sermon and you sing to one another. It's sort of this picture that you get that he's like singing to one another in songs, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's telling us to do is to play that jam, to turn up the radio and to give testimony of where God is at work. When we live in thanksgiving for what God has done and we begin to testify about all that God's brought us through, when the world looks at us, they can see a different kind of hope because we're telling the world what God has done. And I love telling the story about how God had saved me from what it is that I had walked through. How God picked me up when I wasn't even even worthy to pick up. And God loved me. And his light came and shined on me. And I'm here to tell a story, as they say, to talk about the goodness of the Lord. And to shout about all that God has done. Because as I walk in that, there's something that's transferred in that moment. It's like a good song on the radio when you play it your head just bobs you get excited about what god's doing and you turn it up one of the ways i like to torture my kids as one of their parents is i'll be riding in the car and one of those good old 80s songs will come on the radio and when i'm dropping them off at school i turn it up and i roll the windows down and i start that you know that white man overbite get <laughs> on one of those and my kids are like dad turn it down i said no that's my jam i'll turn it up a little more My kid's like, Dad, don't do that. I said, no, that's my song. That's how we are with the kingdom of God. When we hear the song that the Lord has put into our heart because of his deliverance, because of the way in which he has moved into our hearts and lives, we can't help but turn up the radio and to sing and to shout and to clap about all that God has done. Church, there is a testimony to be told. And when we tell the testimony, we're not full of wine or drunk in the wine of the world. Instead, the scripture calls us to be what? Full of the Spirit. Being drunk with wine leads you to debauchery or leads you to trying to gratify all the ways you can the flesh that you live in. But when we live full of the Spirit there's no room for anything else because when you're full, there's no place for darkness to come. This is the call that the Lord wants for us is to be filled to this level, to be overflowing so that when the world encounters us, the only thing they have is a life that's fully immersed in who God is. And when we live into that, there's something that transfers. The world is able to bear witness to something that they had never seen before, and that is the power and the love and the community of God that gives access to the hope of heaven heaven this is what we have found in our text this morning something beautiful i want to invite the worship team to come back up because there's something else that he says here and it's it's really really wonderful and beautiful and i i have to give it to you because i believe that this is the pivot that actually transforms the whole of what it is that we are to receive from our reading this morning We hear in the scripture, it says that we are to what? Make the most of every opportunity. Verse 16, because the days are evil. Now, that's a decent way of saying it, but I I think it misses the point. King James says it like this, and I think it gets it a little bit closer in this case. It says to redeem the time. There's something redemptive about the character of the church that lives this way that is redeeming of time. But he uses a particular word here that we don't really get. We don't have a good English word for it. Because time, in the way that we think of it, is chronos in there. Greek word word in their understanding. It's chronos, that's clocks, calendars, tick, 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 seconds, minutes, hours, months, years, the way that we govern our world. Chronos, redeem the time. So we're redeeming chronos. But that's not the word he uses there. He says, redeem the kairos. Now kairos and chronos are two different understandings of time. Kairos, unlike Kronos, doesn't measure clocks and calendars. It's the appointed time or the very special time where God shows up and does something supernatural or amazing. Kairos is the opportune time. Over 200 times in scripture you see Kairos. Every other place you see time, it's Kronos. But here the Lord wants us to redeem His kairos, to create a thin place between heaven and earth by the virtue of the Christ that we live. And when we do that, something is transferred. Something new begins to emerge. Some years ago, I was at a church service and saw this woman. She was praying at our altar and I went up and I just began to speak over her life and I could sense a, a kairos moment in her life. And I knew her story because she'd been attending our church for a long time, but and, and her story was marked mostly by tragedy, at least over the last several years that she had lived. She'd been married, but her husband... Left her. Left her in part because they had no joy in their home that was only exacerbated by the fact that she couldn't bear kids. She had an issue of blood that was constantly preventing her from being able to bear children. doctor said, as long as this condition persists, you'll never have children because there's no way to conceive in this state. So I saw her that that week and she was broken at the altar and she was just crying out. And the Lord put in my heart and says, I want to do something special and unusual in her life. So I went up to her. And how many of you know when you start saying, you know, I feel the Lord saying, "You, you better be right. And so I'm like, God, are you sure you want me to say this? And I just could feel this overwhelming sense that I needed to share. And I said, God is getting ready to restore you she just began to weep. I said, I guess I'm on to something. I'll just keep going. I'll give her another sentence. I believe that about this time next year, everything in your life is going to change. And you will point back to this moment right here, right now in the moment that it did. She got more excited, you know, started to get a little bit of shout in her now. You know, she's kind of jumping up and down a little bit. And I said, I'm going to go a little bit more. And I'm going to say what it is that the Lord's really put in my heart. That was kind of the warm up, you know. I got, like, Am I doing all right? Am I getting it so far? And I said, God is going to restore you. He's going to give you a husband. And they will say of the woman that was unable to conceive... Look at the number of her children. Not only will you marry, but you're going to have children. And those children are going to be know, known and they're going to be taught by the Lord. And God's going to do great things through them. By now, the whole place is lit because they knew her story in this, in this uh, 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 sanctuary where we were preaching this. And here's what happened. The next month, she met her husband six months after she met them, they married. And nine months after they married, she was pregnant with her first. And now she's had one, two, three babies. Why? Because kairos showed up. An opportune time showed up. And when the Lord says, redeem the kairos, it's saying, create the space where it's easy for me to move. How? By being full of the Spirit, by being light, by following the things what happens is a thin place comes between heaven and earth Kairos shows up and when Kairos shows up in the Bible, we see great things happening. A 90-year-old woman whose body was as good as dead gave birth to a child. When Cairo showed up, a shepherd boy took out a giant. When Cairo showed up, three Hebrew boy teenagers walked through the fiery furnace and came out on the other side. When Cairo showed up, in the lion's den, the Lord shut their mouth. When Cairo showed up, God did did something special and when we live into the character of the kingdom Kairos always shows up it always shows up and God is calling us as a community to live into the kingdom to redeem to take back all that the enemy has stolen and saying, you stole all these years from me, no more. I'm taking them back. And when I take them back, I'm taking back some lost people with me. And I'm going to bring them into the hope of the kingdom. I feel like there's some worship surprising in this place. And it's time for us to play that jam again to play that song, that song of testimony. Because when I think about what God has done in my life, and I think about what God has done in some of you, because I've heard your story, it makes me want to sing. It makes me want to shout. It makes me want to declare. It makes me want to hope different. It makes me want to believe different. And I dare you right now to allow some Kairos praise to begin to bubble down in your spirit. Come into that light. Let love lead. Let love drive the way all the time. Uh And let's sing that jam. Can we do that? Let's sing it. Let's worship the Lord. Come on, worship team, lead us. Come on. I can do anything. that right there. Keep that right there. I just got a couple of testimonies in this atmosphere of praise and worship I need to share. I've seen the power of God. You're talking about exposing? Where the power of God is so strong. And this happened not long ago where I was talking to somebody and they were drunk out of their mind. And I walked up on him, and I said, man, I got a message for you. God loves you and has a purpose and plan for your life. He goes, stop talking to me, man. You're messing up my buzz. I said, i pray now in the name of Jesus, you sober this man up so he can hear the word of God. His eyes went clear. He said, pastor, I don't know what you just did, but there's something that changed inside of me. I walked up drunk. I'm sober and in the right mind, and I watched God touch. And transform that man's life I'm telling you there is power in the name of Jesus last week in our services (laughs) nobody even praying for people yet two people testified about how God healed them in the middle of worship in the power of God miracles always take place and where the presence of God is scripture says there's a fullness of joy I wonder if we could sing this song, but sing it a little different this time. Maybe we sing it with a little bit more faith. Because some of you right now in this room are facing impossible situations. Creditors calling you. Your marriage is falling apart. Your kids are running in rebellion. You can't figure out how it is that you can move up. And you need more resources, but you feel locked down. Nothing is impossible nothing is impossible when the man brought his son that kept throwing himself into the fire he asked the lord lord can you make my son well and jesus says if i can and i love his response jesus says all things he didn't say some things he said all things are possible for those that believe and i love even further the man's prayer and response he says god i do believe That God is trying to overcome some belief. So unbelief. So wherever you have an area where you need to see God at work, as we sing, nothing is impossible. I just want you to place that nothing or that something that you think is impossible into the hands of the one where nothing is impossible. And let's God watch God do some miracles in this place today. Can we see it? Let's sing it one more time. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Away. You, you nothing is impossible through you blind. mystery nothing is for God? Nothing. Can we say it again? What is impossible with God? Nothing. 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 You came in today heavy. Some of you came in very broken. But nothing is impossible for God. Let His love just begin to wash over you right here in this place. Maybe this morning you came and you didn't even... Have the faith to hardly get out of bed, but you struggled and you made it here. God has a plan for you. Nothing is impossible. He can take the years of struggle, years of addiction and brokenness and lostness and destruction, and in a moment, turn it around. Let love lead. Step into the light. Be full of the Spirit. Sing that song. God is working. Now, God, I pray over every single person that's here and every need that is present within their life. And I pray that supernaturally that you would just meet them all right where they are at. In the name of Jesus, a marriage that's been on the rocks is being healed. In the name of Jesus, somebody came in and they had a lot of pain in their foot and I feel like God is healing that foot right now. There's some in here, two or three, specific that have been not just riddled with fear but overwhelmed by it. It's been paralyzing. God's delivering you now. There's power in this place for miracles. And there's new life that's bounding forth even now in our midst. We can sing and shout about it, but if it's not lived, it's not real, at least for us. But I believe now more than ever before that God is calling this church even if no other church does, this church specifically, to live into the kingdom virtue of Christ. And when we do, there won't be another place like it on earth. I'm seeing glimpses of it. We're getting close, church. Let's take that next step and plunge all the way in. With every eye bowed and every eye closed, maybe this morning you say, you know, pastor, this is right where I need it this morning.